Would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm sure I don't need to tell you that in the year of our Lord, 2020, there will be no great state fair of the state of Texas. Well, okay, for a while I want to tell you that you can get Fletcher's Corny Dogs at Golden Chick. And during what would normally be the fair, you can reserve a space to drive through the fairgrounds and have your picture made with big texts and get a bag of iconic state fair foods like corny dogs and fried Oreos and cotton candy and a couple of midway prizes. Still, however, that's no fair. Today, we begin a sermon series which may leave us scratching our heads and saying, no fair. These are the teachings of Jesus where, upon first hearing them, we immediately think, no fair, how is this right? The key phrase here, of course, is upon first hearing, since you know well that with Jesus, there's always some hearing and seeing and understanding that we have to find in the teaching. Last week, we heard the great paradox of our faith. In order to gain your life, you must lose it. Not just a paradox, but also pointing out that what is truly important is actually driven by love and humility and generosity. Today, we continue to explore that kind of living as applied to human conflict. Now, I want to tell you one of my favorite groups um, talking about scripture today that I read frequently is called the Salt Collective. And I, I like them because they include important church events. They do a calendar and they, they quote from poets like Mary Oliver and David White and others and And they usually do a pretty good commentary on Scripture. And and I loved what they had to say this week. And I just hope that my words can bring to life what meant so much to me as I read what they had to say. So this week's gospel reading is actually sandwiched between two parables both of which underscore love and mercy and radical inclusion. The first parable is of the lost sheep. You, you know that parable. The, the sheep, out of one out of the 99 goes and gets lost, and the shepherd goes and finds it and brings it back into the fold. And the second parable that follows what we heard in the reading today is the parable of the unforgiving servant which is actually a story about a call to forgiveness. Now, the implication of this is that while conflict should be faced squarely and wisely, it should always be framed by mercy. But I want to confess here, as a friend of mine 
used to like to say when something or someone had said something or done something she considered wrong, especially if it was against her or against those she loved or something she loved, she would say, well, that just sticks in my craw. And that's honest, isn't it? Doesn't it stick in your craw when somebody or someone does something that is unjust toward you or toward someone you loved or something you have, have devoted yourself to? It, it means that passages like this cause us to think things like, well, I didn't create this mess, or this is not my fault, or they are just wrong, wrong, wrong. Or, my favorite, how could they do this to me? It leaves us saying to Jesus, you want me to go to them? Me to have to go to them and make peace with them? I didn't do it. They did. You're kidding, right? That's no fair. And in our polarized world and nation today, this way of thinking reigns supreme. And you and I both know that the community we call the church is not immune. Here, Jesus confronts us with the fact that churches are not immune to this way of thinking. They are not immune to conflict, and in fact, are often hotbeds of conflict. We know that truth all too well. But Jesus raises a mirror to us, individually and collectively, reminding us that life in community isn't about becoming conflict-free, but rather about having conflicts in healthy, life-giving ways. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person that when a conflict arises, I just want to get out of the way, get out of the room, get out of the space, get away from where the conflict is brewing. I'm not one to generally stand and engage the conflict. And, and then there are others among us who, they're okay to engage the conflict. They'll walk right into it like a bull in a shine closet. We generally have two ways of dealing with conflict, but Jesus offers us a different one. Too often, however, life in community and life in the church is discouraging and dysfunctional, and is a dynamic in which Jesus points to in this no-fair teaching and results in some of the following behaviors. Well, first, as I said, we're tempted to fight hard or avoid conflict. Second, we're tempted to gossip. You know, rather than actually talk to somebody we're in contact with, we have to tell everybody else. And then there's, you know, that we're tempted to recruit like-minded thinkers. You know, we, we want a lot of people to agree with us. And so we go around and talk all around the subject and the perpetrator of our conflict rather than talk with them. And then we are tempted to air our grievances only in front of audiences that agree with us. 
And lastly, and most importantly, we're tempted to regard our opponents as if they are our enemies, inhuman, and worst, unwelcome in our lives, in our community, entirely. Now, I don't need to tell you this is made all the worse by social media and the 24-hour news cycle that is raging right now in our lives and in our world. And then uh, emerges this concept called the cancel culture. Have you heard about it? The phenomenon of promoting canceling of people, brands, and even shows and movies and businesses due to what some consider to be offensive or problematic remarks or ideologies. It's not all that new. The good news about the cancel culture is that it can raise awareness and cause people to think before acting. Think the Me Too movement or perhaps Black Lives Matter, causing people to rethink how we've always thought things were okay before. The bad news is that in the hands of toxic people, the trend can be deeply destructive. I have a friend who was teaching a seminar, and um, some people came to her and uh, complained about her teaching. And then instead of sitting down with her and working through it, they began to circulate negative comments in the group and uh, condemn her publicly without actually seeking to resolve the crisis. The same thing happened recently uh, in the spring when, when, we were, when I was teaching at Bright Divinity School. We had, um, you know, we had to move to an online uh, kind of teaching, and there was so much awful indirect criticism of the deans and the faculty who were having to implement this online teaching. And it swirled in great drama throughout the student body. It can be good, but it can also be destructive. It can be good in raising awareness, but can also be destructive toward the community as a whole. Now, to all of this, Jesus offers us a different way, a different way of being in the world. Jesus asks us to think in new ways about conflict. Note that I said new ways, not easy ways. Now, um, there is nothing easy about choosing behaviors that reflect love and humility and generosity, especially when you feel like you've been done wrong. So Jesus speaks to each of our ways of avoiding conflict, uh, of how we evade it, uh, whether it's our running away from it or being too angry to even have a conversation. Avoidance and evasion aren't good options. And so Jesus insists that we go directly to the source of our complaint. And then against gossip, um, if you feel offended or critical, Jesus insists to begin by not telling someone else, but in direct communication with the person or people who have offended you. And then goes on to respectfully allow the person to clear up any misunderstanding or apologize or save face or make amends. And 
More importantly, by doing this, we avoid this thing called triangulating. Surely you've heard of that. When you talk to talk around somebody to somebody else and leave them out of the conversation. Jesus advises us to not engage in echo chamber grievances where we just echo each other, whether it's another individual or an audience. Jesus says, go directly to that person and take a couple of people with you, not 10, not 12, not 20, just a couple. And then Jesus says, don't grieve in front of friendly audiences. Bring the whole community to hear the grievance because it will require us to be accountable to each other. It will require us to support each other. It will require us to hear carefully and not talk broadly in ways that are not authentic to what has happened. And then Jesus actually, even though the scripture doesn't tend to make this make you think this, Jesus actually is against excommunication. Now, I know he said, you know, treat him like a Gentile, but just consider this. You know, treat him like a tax collector and a Gentile, Jesus says, except, well, truly, unabashed offenders who insist on destructive and dysfunctional behavior should, in the end, be given a clear message. Stop the behavior or step away from the community because community is important. But on the other hand, Jesus qualifies this teaching with two parables of inclusion on either side of this one. And then I just want to remind you how Jesus treats the Gentiles and the tax collectors. It's surprising. Jesus treats them as included. Treats them with grace and mercy and forgiveness. Now, the stakes are high in these matters. Jesus says, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, heaven and earth are closely linked. And what we do here resonates what happens there. Our agreements, whether wise or contemptuous, healthy or unhealthy, have profound consequences. Ultimately, Jesus says, where two or three of us gather in Jesus' name, Jesus is present. But Jesus can't be present if there isn't authenticity and honesty and truth. When we gossip, when we only talk to the ones who agree with us. But more positively, we do gather in Jesus' name when we navigate our conflicts together, when we directly, respectfully communicate, when we invite light into the conversation. Because, you know, um, light dispels the shadows. Conflicts happen, even in community, especially in community, and even in the church. So the church is not called to be free from conflict. Rather, we are called to be a form of life together, where conflict happens in healthy and constructive ways, and the good news of the gospel 
is that when we do that, then love and humility and generosity follow. The steps Jesus outlines aren't magical, and they don't fit every situation. But they help make manifest a set of underlying principles worth bearing in mind whenever we face conflicts. Ah, well, which is just about every day. One such principle is this. We should always act with a bias toward direct communication. We should start with the smallest group possible and then carefully and incrementally widen the group if necessary. And another, avoid echo chambers and friendly only audiences. And finally, our actions in large and small conflicts have profound consequences here in the midst of us on earth as in heaven. Stephanie and I have been um, watching the television series on Netflix called The Crown. I had started it when it first came out, and Stephanie picked it up a few weeks ago, and so we're now caught up to season three, and um, both quite taken with the story of Queen Elizabeth II and her family. We just recently watched an episode in which Queen Elizabeth II was confronted with a crisis and a conflict in her government. You see, there was a group of people who didn't like the direction that the current Prime Minister, Wilson, was taking the country. They felt like it was destructive. But instead of dealing directly with Prime Minister Wilson, they formed a little cabal, and they met together, and they uh, recruited a well-known and well-respected military genius to come in and support their efforts, Lord Mountbatten, who happened to be related to the Queen through her marriage to Prince Philip. Well, it gets to a crisis pitch, and she calls, she hears of this, um, this group of people trying to overthrow the government, which, by the way, they couldn't do without her help. And so she calls in Lord Mountbatten, and he comes in and makes his case before her. And she shores herself up as only a queen can and looks him straight in the eye and refuses to help him. She said it was wrong. And when he questioned why she would support this man, this prime minister, she said, I'm not supporting him. I'm supporting the government. I'm supporting the position of prime minister. I'm keeping the community together. Still, at this age in her life, by monarch standards, she was a young queen, and especially compared to her elder, Lord Mountbatten. But Queen Elizabeth stood with the community. Jesus' instructions about resolving disputes is really about community. It's not about a list of rules. It's not about a list of have to. It's about supporting community. His instructions about dissolving these disputes is about supporting community. It's about supporting the vulnerable in community. Remember the parable of the lost sheep? It's about not losing anyone. 
The process is intense, but is committed to not letting the offended or the offender be lost in their own sin. It is about caring for the community as a whole. Jesus' ministry was one of reconciliation, liberation, justice, and healing. The Hebrew word for this, which reflected in his life and teachings, his death and resurrection, is tikkun olam, which means repairer of the world. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? You and I are called to stand in the breach and be repairers of the world. And through this lens, conflicts are nothing less than opportunities to participate in God's reconciling and reparative work. If we take this seriously, we can look forward to conflicts. Well, I don't know about that, but you know, we can actually see conflicts as an agent of healing, as an occasion to pattern our lives together according to the ideas and the dynamics of love, generosity, humility, with which God made and remakes the world. You're kidding, right? No. No kidding. Amen.